find a baby who's been abandoned in a pile of trash and then shenanigans ensue. Hello everyone and welcome to Anime Club After Dark's Movie Reviews, a spoiler-free discussion detailing the good, the bad, and the damn right ridiculous of anime movies. I'm your host, Alex, but you can call me Senpai, and joining me tonight, I just have our poster extraordinaire, Natai. But wait, it's not Christmas yet, Alex. What are, this, this is not the right movie. What are you talking about? No, no, it's not Christmas. But tonight we will be reviewing probably one of the closest things anime has to a straight-up Christmas movie, and that is Tokyo Godfathers. Um, this was chosen by Unitai. Yeah, yeah. I one of the reasons I, I like we started this so like movie club movie reviews thingy is because I wanted to watch more movies and uh, and majorly I wanted to watch more Satoshi Kon movies. Uh, so yeah, this one is in particular I was looking forward to giving it a go because it looked really interesting. I've heard for a long time that some people compare it to like a quote unquote anime Christmas movie. Um, and after watching Perfect Blue a while ago and absolutely loving it, I'm like, yeah, I, I, I'd love to watch more from this guy. So, yeah, that's my pick. Yeah. All right, well, a, a good pick it was. Um, yeah, this movie yeah, is Yeah, like wild. you say, it is. It, yes, it is. Um, this movie, let's get straight into it. Um, so, Tokyo Godfathers, uh, released in 2003, uh, was directed by Satoshi Kon, um, also written by Satoshi Kon, but also co-written. Uh, by uh, Keiko Nobumoto, who is probably best known for being a principal writer on Cowboy Bebop, Wolf's Reign, and an associate writer for Samurai Champloo. And it shows. Uh, like, the writing is, like, very, very, like, sharp in this movie. Like, I mm-hmm. love the dialogue in this movie. Um, sadly, we very recently lost uh, Keiko Nobumoto. She passed away on December 1st, 2021. Mm. Um so um, I believe it was uh, esophageal cancer, if I'm not mistaken. Ah, that sucks. Um, it does. Um, the the movie itself, Tokyo Godfathers, is partially inspired by an American Western movie called Three Godfathers uh, from 1948, starring none other than John Wayne himself. The legend. The Duke. The Duke, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and at some point, I think you mean you should probably watch that movie. Yeah, actually, like right before talking about it, you told me, uh, like you told me that it's inspired by. I'm like, oh shit, I I'd love to give it a go, even though it's like mm. really really old by now. Like, nineteen forty eight is. <laughs> would it surprise you? Would it surprise you to know that the the western itself, Three Godfathers, is further inspired by a silent film from nineteen nineteen. <laughs> Actually, really? <laughs> yes. Damn. I forget what the the uh, original... Um, uh, I'm going to look it up real quick. I wasn't th- thinking I was going to talk about That's this. That's interesting how you um, can, like, con- uh, like, even back then, they would, like, be inspired of sort of, like, I don't know, quote-unquote remake, like, very older projects they would release, like, even 20, 30 years earlier. Yes. Marked Men is the uh, name of the silent film from 1919. Huh. Interesting. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, the the anime movie itself was produced by Madhouse, those mad lads. Um, I think this is most the of second time. Th- yeah, most of Khan's movies were produced by Madhouse, am I right? Mm. Uh, I believe all of his movies, all the ones that he directed and wrote. 
um, I believe was so produced Paranoia by Agent was produced in Ma- so yeah bro, like it seems like he worked with Meadows on most of his mm. bigger projects those mad lads those mad lads um, <laughs> as I'd previously mentioned though the film itself was first screened um, on August 30th 2003 at uh, the Big Apple Anime Fest in New York City um, huh. this was actually the last time that convention was held as a oh. matter of fact um, I don't think it's been held since um that's a shame. I know. Um, the film was released in Japan on November 8th of 2003. Uh, so just a couple of months uh, later. In fact, just over a month and a half after um, it was first screened in New York City. Um, the film also had a very limited release in North American theaters on December 29th, 2003. This was solely to as, as an attempt to get an Academy Award nomination for Best Animated Feature, and they completely failed. Who won that year, I wonder? Um, <laughs> Let me look at that up real quick. Um, That may be the same year. Was it Spirited Away? No, you think? Mm. No, well, uh, no, Finding Nemo oh, won uh, in 2000. Great, great, yeah, great movie. Fantastic yeah, I mean, movie. Uh, no, Spirited Away had won in 2002. Mm. Gotcha. Yes. Um. I mean, Finding Nemo is also like not a bad loss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like um, I'll take it. <laughs> um, <laughs> man, that would be an interesting um, nomination, though. That would be. Um, the movie itself was made on a budget of uh, roughly two point four million U.S. dollars. That is not adjusted for inflation. Um, sadly, which is becoming a kind of a trend in our movie reviews that we talk about, um, it didn't break even at its uh, original box office release, making only a eight hundred and forty-seven thousand one hundred and six dollars. Again, not adjusted for inflation. That that really sucks that like if we Satoshi Khan we see that trend because I I feel like yeah. I feel like I mean if it was still alive which again like what a loss for like for our, the industry but if it was still alive I yeah. think like maybe his movies would have done much better nowadays because his name has done much more recognition in the Western market. It does. I I feel like with the wider release um, internationally that Japanese like, that anime movies have. It would his films would probably do better, yeah. Because um, you know this was back in the early two thousands. I mean, it still wasn't hugely. Uh, it wasn't something that you would see often, where a anime movie would get a, a wide release in theaters. Like if it did get a release in North Pokemon. American theaters, it was typically very yeah. very limited number of theaters. And it would have been something like probably Pokemon, Pokemon or something like that. You know? Yeah, it was be it would be something that had a huge name attached yeah. to it. Uh, a shame. Now, I, I do want to point out that you know some. I, I try to make this as clear as possible when I give like budget and box office numbers. This box office number that I did give does not include home video releases or theatrical re-releases. The film has since made its money back and then some on those uh, home video releases and theatrical re-releases. Also, in case like listening listeners are wondering, it's on Netflix. You should go and watch it. It is. It, it, well, it is, at least as of the time it's recording, it, it is, is on, Netflix. on Netflix. That's how I watched it. You should please do that. It's, it's yeah, kind of spoilers, yes. but it's really good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the film has a total runtime of just 92 minutes. Um, so it's a quick watch. Yeah. And, and it flies by. And it does. It really, really does. Um, so let's actually get into this. Um, the art and, and animation. Um, so a, a lot like... Um, 
other Satoshi-kun movies, I would say probably with the exception of Paprika, um, they go with more, uh, for lack of a better term, realistic character designs. Um, yeah. And have... many of the characters are quite ugly. Yeah, I love how it, it's like, and that's one of the things I loved about Perfect Blue as well. I love how a lot of the characters feel like, like, look like real people. Like, they have this, like, real real faces sort of vibe look to them. They, they look... don't all look like supermodels. Yeah, they, they to some extent, they look like, shit which is great because especially this movie which is about a bunch of homeless people and they look the part which is great um but that doesn't mean the character design isn't fantastic because it, it is the main trio of the cast i, I absolutely love the way they look i love i love the the costume design as well of all of them yeah i mean you, you, and you said it like the, the three main characters are homeless and they definitely look the part like not only with the way they dress and stuff because they have like tattered clothing and stuff yeah. but like the way they look in in the face um it, it looks like they don't bathe very often oh yeah uh but i also like i love how uh, uh um one of the characters miyuki she she looks she doesn't look like a like a quote-unquote like moe main character type she looks she's kind of a bit more rounded she looks she has a bit more like you know uh weight to her for lack of a better word she's a chunky girl yeah she is a chunk but she but she but but it doesn't look exaggerated doesn't look it it just looks right it doesn't look comical yeah it looks right it looks realistic I, you know, and that's something I, I do wonder about Satoshi Kon because, uh, you know, he died in 2010, so we never really got to see too much more of him after this. In fact, the, his last, uh, the only theatrical release he did after this was Paprika. Um, and, um, or did Millennium, no, Millennium Actors came after Tokyo Godfathers, didn't it? Mm. I forget. Anyway, I anyway, the, 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 the point is like, and the whole point I'm trying to make is I wonder if, if he were still alive today making movies, he would still like keep his movies in the same sort of art style mm. or he would have adjusted to the, like the changing art styles of, of today and made his characters more moe. Mm. And by the way, uh, just side note. Yeah. Millennium actress came out like two years before Tokyo Godfathers. Two years before. Yeah. Okay. I couldn't remember if it came out before or after Tokyo mm. Godfathers. Um, but yeah, and something else that I did want to mention. So this t- this uh, this film takes place uh, during you know around Christmas time, New Year's in uh, in Tokyo. And one one thing I definitely want to give the movie props to is like its background art is Fantastic. spectacular. Fantastic. Um, All the snowy backdrops. Almost to the point mm-hmm. where the city of Tokyo itself becomes like a character. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Um, like they 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 look at different landmarks every now and then, and it's sort of they they explore the city, which I really really enjoyed mm-hmm. as they piece together uh, what they're trying to figure out in the movie. And I love how like you see some of the scenes is just the three of them like just looking around trying to figure out stuff in the city itself, and it's yeah yeah. Well, and something else I definitely want to point out is um, like the snow because mm. you know it's winter time and it does snow rather frequently throughout the course of this uh, movie. And I think e- the snow effects, they look great at the time. I think I still think even by today's standards, the snow effect looks really good. The whole film in general, yeah, it, it looks fantastic. I will get more to the animation in a bit, but before that, like, I, I love the attention to detail with, like, the snow itself, like, the way it looks, how the characters move in the snow. It seems like near the end of the movie, there was a specific cut 
that like I noticed of this woman just like walking through the snow, just like you know pushing through it, and it looks great. Um, mm. Also, shout outs to the opening credits. I love how it's like it uses the city itself again to with the credits of different people who worked on the movie, whether it's like billboards or trucks that like move by with the with, mm. with crediting different staff members. It's it's great. I also love how there's a a, a a really short shot near the beginning. It's during the the credit sequence mm. uh, where you're seeing like I think the people that are being credited are like the sound designers or something, and like it pans over to like a grocery store, or, like the window of a grocery store, and you see movie posters for other Satoshi Kon works. Oh, I didn't pick up on that actually. <laughs> yeah, wow, that's great. Um, it's a nice little like meta thing. I mean. I've talked about it before, and actually, there there's a there's a scene later on where they're in like a um, a metro, a subway station, and you actually see if you pay really close attention, it's like one of those blink and you miss it kind of things. Um, but if you pay really close attention, the main character from Perfect Blue actually walks behind the main characters in uh, in the scene. Yeah, um, and it's a really great like homage. There, there's this there's this like theory among um, people who like Satoshi works that his uh, all of the movies that he directed and wrote all take place in the same universe, just at different times. Mm. That's really cool. <laughs> but um, to take it back to the animation, I. I absolutely love the character animation of this movie. I love how everyone's really expressive. I wonder if they used a bit of uh, rotoscoping because it just they they're so again expressive and and alive and, and alive. I love how they they use their hands when they talk. They just they flail their arms around and it's it's great. I love all the expressions as well. Like me again, maybe it's because that's why she's my favorite character in the movie. But some Yuki's expressions are absolutely golden i love it yeah for sure i i don't know for for certain if rotoscoping was used i could certainly be convinced that it was i do know that the film was produced digitally mm. like it's not it's not cgi obviously yeah. but it was all digitally done yeah um, but it actually looks so i mean there could have been some minor rotoscoping especially with all the expressions mm. Yeah. Um, one thing I did, I did want to mention before we move on quickly is um, uh, the aspect of cinematography. So in other Satoshi Kon's works, um, there's there tends to be a lot of like fantastical elements to it, and the cinematography reflects this. But because this is so grounded, there's not a lot of really like crazy jump cuts. Yeah. Or, this um, isn't Perfect Blue. Um, yeah, like yeah, like in Perfect Blue or Paprika. Um, there's not like fantastical color changes between scenes. Like it's all super mm. grounded. The shots, a lot of the shots uh, are done as if there's an actual camera following these people around. Yeah. Um, totally. And I, I really like that aspect to it. It, it. it makes it seem so much more grounded. It's almost like you're watching almost like a docudrama mm. or something. But I do love like some of the shot compositions and like some of the storyboard is so clever. Like near the end mm. of the movie, there's this one, uh, there's this one sp- specific scene that I absolutely love that um, you see two of the characters walking uh, walking across this bridge and the camera is like is like following and just tracking them right and as they keep talk- walking like one of the characters jokes about committing suicide and whatnot and then they they walk past this this like lady who seems like she's about to jump off the bridge but it's still like like the characters don't notice it so the camera keeps tracking them as if like it's just there in the background. Then it cuts back to it's like, oh shit, don't don't jump! But uh, yeah. it, it's really clever. It's really it's really good. 
just really good. Yeah, there there is some really clever shot composition um, in this, and like it it kind of goes with, and we'll talk about this in, in just a bit, but it kind of goes along with that balance of drama and and comedy. I think. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about the sound design and the scoring. So um, this OST was done by uh, Keiichi Suzuki, who. Um, is probably more known for um, early video game hmm. uh, OSTs than anything else. He worked on uh, Mother Earthbound, oh, shit, uh, really? Super Smash Brothers Brawl. Huh. Um, but he has done a few other um, video game or not uh, anime uh, OSTs uh, besides Tokyo Godfathers. He also worked on the original um, uh, Uzumaki back in 2000 which i believe was actually a stop motion animated film uh i could be wrong about that um yeah this soundtrack is like is interesting because at certain points it works but at certain points i just feel like it's kind of there like mm -hmm. some of my like some of my favorite moments in terms of the soundtrack it's like it feels like it goes back to the feel of whatever that is but of a christmas movie right like it's a very sort of mm -hmm. like very playful very uh whimsical even to some extent but at other times it's just kind of there I... it's yeah it's just kind of not it's not as evocative and yeah. that's what i wanted to say like this ost i mean yeah there are parts of it that i really like but it's not anywhere near as evocative as osts and satoshi kun's other works like paprika mm. like perfect blue like like paprika has like an iconic soundtrack at this point mm. um it was the it was the first commercial use of Vocaloid. Um, oh shit! I did not know so, that. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, it has that going for it. It has that novelty to it. Um, and then Perfect Blue has that soundtrack that just makes everything feel so intense and eerie. Yeah, um, and eerie with Perfect Blue and it, like this. Yeah, I mean, uh, the the covers that they have of like classical music that you tend to hear around Christmas time. Those yeah, are fantastic, it's great. Yeah. It's it, it's great, but it just doesn't. Yeah. Aside from putting me in a Christmas mood, it doesn't make me feel anything. Yeah, and like it's not even a matter of like it's not it's not a matter of it being understated because sometimes I feel it's like it's it's too much there. I think it's it's like yeah a, a bit like like it just too much. It's kind of overbearing even uh, sometimes. But it's yeah, it's kind of hit or miss for me in terms of like scene to scene. Um, one thing I definitely did want to mention is that there are two different English dubs uh, for this for people who actually care. Um, so the original uh, dub, which was done, I believe, in 2004, if I'm not mistaken, um, was done by uh, Animax. And uh, it was recently, and by recently, I mean 2019, uh, redubbed by uh, G-Kids. Um, and I have to say, one of the things I did when I went back and rewatched this, because it's been about 10 years uh, since the last time I watched Tokyo Godfathers, um, is I made sure that I could check out the new redub. And I have to say, uh, just from what I remember of the original dub, this redub is miles ahead in terms of quality. Uh, oh really? So if you are someone who likes, yeah, if you are someone who likes to watch anime in dub, I can tell you that the re the G Kids redub from 2019 is it, it's pretty it's quality. Nice. At least I will say, at least compared to the original dub. I mean, not necessarily compared to the Japanese dub, which is what I watched this actual movie in. 
Hmm. Maybe uh, maybe something. I'll but I did. I did want to take. I did want to take a minute and just compare and contrast because I knew I had access to the new dub. No, that's really cool. It's always interesting whenever there's um, more like you know versions of the dub. I feel like it's just it's interesting to like compare and contrast them. You know. Hmm. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Um. But let's actually talk about the the story itself. Again, no spoilers. Um. I think. I've mentioned it before. This is definitely Satoshi Kon's, I think, most grounded movie that he has both directed and written. Um, Because it doesn't have that blending of, like, fantasy or fiction and reality. Um, The story itself pretty much stays grounded in reality, at least as much as it can be, given its, like, you know, actual story. Yeah. Um, Definite change of pace. Um, because when you think of Satoshi Kon, you think of, like, this blending, like with, with, um, with Perfect Blue, never never really knowing what's real and what's actually like in someone's head yeah. or with paprika it's kind of the same thing so like um, it, it'll, and also like fucking with the audience like really trying to disorient and it's like wait wait and yeah. you do get that sort of like disorienting uh, sensation with this movie but to a lesser extent and yeah it's def- definitely much more grounded in reality in, in reality than any other of his films I think yeah um and, and we've talked about it. So, I mean, the, the, the basic plot uh, of the story revolves around these three homeless people who essentially find a baby who's been abandoned in a pile of trash and then shenanigans ensue. I mean, that's that's literally the plot, right? Yeah, and it, it's great. All, and that's why it's so great, I think. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's such a simple setup, but has a really great payoff, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, for sure. With all the things that happen to them, because like their, their goal is like, well, we got to find who this kid belongs to, right? Mm-hmm. And then everyone's like, well, the, one of the guys is like, well, we'll just take it to the, we'll take it to the police. And they're like, no, we got to find the kid's parents. Yeah. Um, and that, and then that finding the kids' parents is what leads to a lot of shenanigans and like these themes that are explored throughout themes of like these miraculous coincidences that seem to constantly happen around this kid, mm-hmm. um, and how like all of the and, and Satoshi Kon talked about this in an interview one time about Tokyo Godfathers how as much as the film is about the plight of people being homeless, it's more about people being familyless. Mm. Yeah, because all these people are like sort of like estranged from their family to to some extent, and it's yeah, and for very different reasons. For, yeah, for def- for very different reasons. But like in that, like, but but they find this sort of new family in each other, which is like very very sweet. Honestly, I love the dynamic it, between it, them. The, the great. The great thing about it is they, they've obviously been very hush-hush amongst themselves as to why they've been estranged from their families. And th- with all the coincidences that keep happening around the kid that they're trying to find the parents for, it ends up like coming out slowly why all of these people are estranged from their family. And even and even if they do know, like even like it seems like some info it has been revealed between the three of them, Sometimes it's not even, is it true? Is it not true? Because, I mean, people lie. People keep secrets from each other. And But then, yeah, yeah, they sort of reveal themselves throughout the movie. And that sort of, like, connection that is, like, born out of that is, like, really special. Like, the crux of, the crux of this movie, for sure, is the dynamic between the three of them. Yeah. 100%. And it's brought to life wonderfully. Like, with the voice actors and the animation. It's, yeah, I love that dynamic. 
I like we were looking at this beforehand because you were asking like the 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 voice actor for Hana like he sounds really familiar and we went and looked him up he's never done any other anime roles because for uh, I, and we found out it's mostly because he's a theater actor like I thought it would be it it was uh, um, the, the name escapes me but uh, it was the voice actor of Gintoki and Joseph Joestar. Uh, I thought it, it for some reason like I, I thought it was oh Daisuke Ono Daisuke, uh, no not um was it Daisuke Ono no it was uh I'll look it up in a sec uh but for some reason I thought it was him but then when I looked up it's like he act, this actor by the way fantastic performance doesn't appear in any other anime which is like damn yeah it is Daisuke Ono oh it is Daisuke Ono okay no Tomo yeah. Tomo Sugita that's the guy I'm thinking about. Oh, Sugita. Yeah, Sugita. Yeah. Praise Sugita. I thought it was Sugita. I, I could have sworn it was him, uh, but I was wrong. I mean, to be fair, Sugita can voice just about anybody. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Um, but yeah, like, and it, it's amazing because you get this great, um, this great voice performance, you know, but by someone who's never been around. But I, you know, bringing up Hana, like, how fucking progressive for the time this movie was made, right? An actual transgender character. I, I wanted to hear um, your take about it because I was pleasantly surprised with how they handled Hannah's character. Quite respectfully, I'd yeah. say. I mean, given the fact that one of the characters keeps calling like a homo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of slurs thrown around in the movie, which is like, ooh, okay. But like, Hannah's character. Yeah, I, I wonder. I wonder. Um... I wonder how that would be taken today if this movie were had actually been released, you know, now. Um, I have a feeling that the, those slurs would actually not be in the subtitles. Currently, They'd I be mean, replaced by something more sanitized. I mean, currently in the uh, Netflix subtitles, it, it's it's all there, uh, which was like mm. kind of like, ooh, okay. But I, I, I was very surprised by Hannah's character and how he's portrayed but i really really dig is like i dig that i, I like uh, his backstory and like as we is this story reveals more and more of it uh generally surprised by how they handle his character but i really liked it i really dig it yeah i mean and and again given the time that this came out i mean it's crazy yeah i just i mad respect for how well respectfully it was it was handled because I feel like, given the fact that the film does kind of try to blend comedy with like drama, I feel like they could have gone in a completely comedic direction with this. And yeah, there is some there is some comedy that's done with with the character of Hana, you know, with all the crazy facial expressions and how exasperated Hana tends to be. Yeah. Um, but it, it never feels like it goes overboard. It never feels like it's leaning into like. Um, like ridiculousness yeah yeah definitely like it does it, it always feels in character and it doesn't feel like the movie is making fun of him he's just like no it doesn't um, it doesn't feel like the portrayal is ridiculing exactly who are exactly, transgender exactly yeah um yeah it's it was, it was crazy it's crazy to think that this kind of a portrayal was done when it was done mm-hmm. and there wasn't some kind of huge uproar over it even in Japan, which is a, a country that, I mean, let's be honest, isn't exactly known for being super progressive about certain things, especially back then. But yeah, props to Satoshi Kon. This is like this was very, very, very surprising to see that portray- that kind of character being portrayed. But like that goes for like, but all three of the char- of the, the the main characters, I just absolutely love them. They're like, 
that's that's the thing I think surprised me the most how much I was invested in their dynamic and relationship. I I will say one um, criticism I have seen uh, thrown at Tokyo Godfathers, and I'd like to get your opinion on it too, is that the movie or the plot itself seems to be wholly based around coincidences, and some of these coincidences seem way too convenient. Um, yes, but I feel like it's it's obvious the movie is shooting for that. It's it goes so overboard with the coincidences that it's totally like the goal. Every now and then, yeah. like they would joke about, oh, th- this this baby is a gift from God or something like that, or as the luck of like God or whatever, and it's 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 intentional as fuck. I think it's very it's very very intentional. Which it's also it's also funny that there's so many references to like Christianity know, and right? like God throughout this. And it, the the amazing thing is that Satoshi Kon was very public about the fact that he feels like he had lost his his Catholic faith. Um, really you know er, in the early 90s and like you look at some of the um the stuff that he made you know in the late 90s early 2000s and there's like so many christian references in them but i think like one thing that i do want to mention is maybe it's something that we rewatching the movie was sort of a remedy but Hmm. it's not the coincidences that bother me I I, i feel like the movie can be a bit too convoluted like every now and then they'll like jump to a certain conclusion. I'll be like, "Oh wait, I think I missed something." Like every now and then I'd be like, "Wait, wait, wait, how do I know this character?" Uh. Like <laughs> the movie can just like sort of go wild with that and be like, "Oh, it doesn't matter, just go with it." And it's like, and it, because near the end of the movie, it goes fast. It goes by really, really quick. Um, so yeah, like the pacing. That's something else I wanted to talk about. So like the pacing of the first hour of this movie i think is is pretty um it's pretty consistent right like but then you get to like the last third of the movie the last half hour and, marathons. and like the pacing just goes shoo, yeah, right through the totally. roof um but i feel like and i think that can be that can be a huge jolt for people especially since you have these things these coincidences that keep happening and like it's been steadily paced throughout the movie yeah but then you have coincidence after coincidence after and it's coincidence, sort of hard to like, keep up within with the span it. of like 10 minutes yeah uh, but I've, I I do want to rewatch it. Uh, maybe I'll watch it with some of my friends later on. But like I, I feel like maybe on a rewatch it'll work out better. But it's definitely something that's there. That was like I, I know I had a hard time yeah. keeping up with some of these the details that were flying around. Yeah, yeah I would say that the pacing, like I say, throughout the first like two thirds of the movie, really consistent. And then you get to the last third of the movie, and the pacing just shoots through the fucking roof. Um. But one thing I did want to say about all those coincidences, yeah, it's it's definitely a motif of the story. It's certainly part of the themes of the story, miracles and, and such. Um, but it's one of those things that I talked about earlier where it kind of feels like the city of Tokyo is is looking after these people and is actually a character in and of itself. Like the setting is a character because these these it feels like there's some force that's making all this happen, that's making these... Um, these coincidences keep happening to these people and get them to a destination. Yeah, it's it's sort of a roundabout way to get to your destination, but it they get there nonetheless. Mm. 
I don't know. I, I like the idea of like, I mean, and the characters themselves refer to it as God. I'm sure you can like see it that way if you want to. Um, but I like to think it's like the actual city, the setting itself, the city of Tokyo, like guiding these people. That's an interesting take. I th- and I do think I like it because like, I, I love how like every now and then they'll, like, they'll come across like different homeless people. And there is that sense of community sort of that's like they they share, even though sometimes it's like, they stumble on, upon like really nasty people, but every now and then they'll be like, yeah, they'll like trade stuff with with each other, and I I, I sort of dig that what it sort of shows, which is kind of real if you think about it. Like you know, from what I've heard, I mean, I've never been homeless myself, so I mean, I mean I'm speaking from you know non experience, um, but I, I I've heard from people who have been homeless at points in their life that um that kind of happens amongst like, you know, homeless communities that you, you kind of look out for each other. You find things and trade things with other people just to try and get by. Yeah. Yeah. Which, I mean, it seems very, again, very grounded and very real. I mean, I don't know. I I only know what homelessness is like from what I've seen here in the United States. I I can't, I I don't have any knowledge or experience of how homelessness works in in Japan. Fortunately, same. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can only imagine what being homeless is like in a country where I'm from. Can I can't even begin to fathom what it'd be like in a country where I number one can't speak the language and number two have never lived in. Yeah, yeah. I I do wonder. Um, I, I want I'd like to hear from someone who knows more about uh, how homelessness is in in Japan about how homelessness is portrayed in this movie. Um, if it's sort of that same thing where there's this sense of camaraderie or um. Because again, we did see like some like some uh, some like very like the thugs that attack one of the characters. It's like some of them are like really nasty. Which again, like this this movie isn't like uh, up um, um, idealizing um, being homeless, obviously. But no, it it kind of shows it for how rough it can be. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's again something that goes back to the character designs as well. Like these characters look rough. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, um, yeah. But I, I think uh, to to wrap this up. Um, so, given what, all that we've said, what do you give uh, Tokyo Godfathers out of ten? That's I give it a strong eight out of ten. It's closer to a nine than a seven. It's really, really fucking good. Again, Satoshi Kon is the goat. You should watch his movies. And I I give it a nine out of ten. Like I think it's it's just a little bit off from being perfect, but it's still it's still a great Satoshi Kon movie. Uh, probably the closest thing that anime has to a straight up Christmas movie. And it's a uh, damn good one at that. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely something that um, you could start a tradition with watching every Christmas. Um, right up there with Die Hard and uh, Jingle All the Way. <laughs> Anyone out there who says that Die Hard isn't a Christmas movie can fuck off. I have a confession to make, Alex. You've never, if you've never seen Die Hard, I still haven't seen Die Hard. Oh my god, this Christmas <laughs> we're watching it. Ty. Let's do it. We're watching Die Hard this Christmas. Let's do it. Let's fucking go. Uh, but yeah, it, it's a fantastic Satoshi Kon movie, and I think with that, I, I think that's we only have Millennium Actress to go, and we will have reviewed all of Satoshi Kon's movies. Ah, if only there were more. I know, if only. That's one of the great what-ifs of anime, I think. Um, But yeah, that's our review of uh, Satoshi Kon's 2003 film, Tokyo Godfathers. Um, 
definitely recommend checking it out if you haven't. Um, there's a lot there for a lot of people. And it is, again, another one of Satoshi Kon's great masterpieces. Yeah. Um, so, Natai, it is now my turn to choose what we're going to be doing Ooh. for our next movie review. Do you know what I've chosen? Give it to me. Pump it into my veins. We, we will be watching Red Line. No, no, oh no. Yes. <laughs> Let's fucking go. Yes, we will be watching 2009 uh, Takeshi Koike uh, directed Red Line. I'm really excited. Really, really yeah, excited. Yeah, a, a film that was stuck in development hell for like eight years. <laughs> and cost a gajillion amount of dollars. Yeah, it cost it again. Another Madhouse movie. Um, yeah, it cost like nearly ten million dollars to make, which is a lot in anime terms. Oh my god! Great, another flop. Yeah, that's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's what I've chosen for our next movie review. So if you do want to watch it before then, feel free. I mean, that's kind of why we do these movie reviews. It's sort of like a movie club. Yeah, that was the more pitch. More or less. Um, but yeah, um, that's what we'll be doing then. Um, It'd probably be about what another month or so from now when we do that to give you guys some time and us time to uh, watch it and or rewatch it. Um, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, I haven't probably I don't think I've seen Red Line since like 2010, 2011. It'll be my first time watching it. I'm really excited. So definitely look forward for that. And thank all of you out there for dropping in to listen to us. Check the description below where you can find Anime Club After Dark on Twitch, on social media, on uh, Discord. You can check out our merch store as well. We have a bunch of stuff there that you can buy, lots of stickers. All of our emotes on our Discord server are available as uh, stickers on our merch store. Um, with that, I have been your host, Alex, and I will see you next time. Say goodnight in a tie. Blue, blue, blue Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> <laughs>